Hill Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, do ask you now to speak to our hearts, open our hearts, Lord, and uh, show us wonderful things out of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Matthew chapter 11, verse 7 through verse 15. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft raiment are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you receive it, this is Elias, or Elijah, which was for to come, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So now we're in a section, this new section here. This section represents uh, several things. It it represents, uh, you might say, the the conclusion of the chapter in the history of John the Baptist. It also represents the greatest crisis in the life of John the Baptist, and the Lord Jesus has just finished this uh, critical task in the first part of this chapter of preparing his disciples to go out now and preach the gospel. In verse one, the Lord has set out himself. He sent them out, now he set out himself to preach the gospel in the same cities that they're working in. But for John, and so it's very light, it's very great, it's a wonderful time. It's a, the gospel is now being released throughout, this, throughout Israel. It's wonderful. It's like the day has dawned. 
But it's not that way for John. For John the Baptist, this is a time of great darkness. It's very dark. And here's fearless John the Baptist who's been accused. He's spoken this word against Herod for the wrongdoing because Herod has went ahead and, and taken his brother, Herod's brother Philip's wife, to be his wife. And so this has landed John in prison. And now from inside the prison, like I say, it looks very dark, you know, it's a, for John the Baptist, and he, he just sees no light. It's a terrible thing has happened to John. John, from within the prison now, is beginning to doubt. Life was never easy for John the Baptist. He didn't have a home. He's living out in the wilderness, but this prison now is the hardest thing he's had to face, and he's really begin to wonder. And John the Baptist began to say to himself, I announced that Jesus was the Son of God, but maybe he's not. John the Baptist has began to say, I told everyone that he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, but maybe not. Maybe I was wrong. I thought I heard. I thought I heard God saying to me, look, the heavens are going to open. You're going to see the God the Spirit descend in the form of a dove on Jesus, and he's the Messiah. And John's begin to say to himself, Maybe I didn't understand it. Maybe I didn't get it. Maybe there was something not right in what I was putting together. This is all what's going on in John the Baptist while he's in prison. He's sitting there thinking to himself, maybe I was wrong about Jesus being the Messiah. So all the coldness, all the dampness in that prison has just penetrated into the soul of John the Baptist, and John is doubting. It kind of reminds me of, um, and by the way, John's very honest about it, and he sent two of his disciples, and he's admitting that he's doubting. He's saying, yeah, I'm doubting. And it's hard for John the Baptist, but that's just the kind of person John the Baptist was. He was an honest person. If he doubted, he didn't hide it. I remember my Jewish cousin, Stephen Cantor, is a lawyer in, uh, in uh, Miami, and he had strongly rejected Jesus and, and me wouldn't talk to me after I told him that I had come to Jesus. And, and I remember one night, it was the middle of the night, Lakeside back in the, I guess it was early 80s, and he, he woke me up out of a deep sleep, called me on the phone, middle of the night, and he said, Tommy, Tommy. It's the way they call me in my family, Tommy. Don't start calling me Tommy. <laughs> so my family does that. He said, Tommy, Tommy, he says, have you ever doubted I said, what do you mean? Have you ever doubted, have you ever had any doubts about Jesus? He says, you know. Well, you know, I in the middle of the night, I shook my head, woke up, you know, realized what he was asking. And so I wanted to be honest with Stephen. And I love Stephen. And so I wanted to be real with him. So I said to him, well, yeah, I suppose I have in the past. I said, but I can tell you that I don't doubt now. And, uh, that was the last conversation I actually had with him and before he sadly committed suicide. Jumped off a building, 14 floors. Anyway, but John the Baptist had doubts, and that's given to us in verses two and three. Now, when John had heard in the prison the worst of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Very dark time in John the Baptist's life, and, and the Lord wonderfully supported John in his question by giving him the answer in verse five that comes right out of the prophet Isaiah, and he described from Isaiah, John, let me just remind you, 
that the Messiah is going to, going to heal the, cleanse the lepers and heal the sick and opening of the prison. And he did a demonstration of that for his two disciples, the two messengers of John, so that they could carry back the message to John the Baptist. Yeah, he said that the Messiah was going to do all these things, and we saw him do it. We had a demonstration right in front of our eyes. So he met the doubts that John the Baptist had, but John the Baptist, and uh, he spoke right to John the Baptist's heart. He supported him. He brought him back up. Because John had fallen into doubt, we all have this issue that we fall. And the issue is not whether or not John the Baptist fell into doubt. The issue is whether or not John the Baptist got up again and rose up, and that's the same with us. The issue is not whether or not we fall into sin, into doubt. The issue is whether or not we get back up again because the Bible says in Proverbs 24, 16, Proverbs 24, 16, a just man falls seven times and rises up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. There's no talk about the mischief, about the wicked getting up again. A just man falls, but a just man gets back up again, whereas a wicked man falls and he doesn't get back up again. As a matter of fact, by using that number, Seven in Proverbs 24, 16, it's really emphasizing that there is a fall, there's a get back up. It's not enjoyable to fall and get back up again, but we should not be surprised when that does happen to us. Now, from verse seven on, the Lord is going to speak about the greatness of John the Baptist, but the beginning of verse seven is very, very important because it tells us something important about when he said these things about John the Baptist in verse seven where it says, as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John. So the Lord gives the answer to John's disciples that about from Isaiah about what the Messiah is gonna do, gave him a demonstration, just to show that yes, he was doing those things that Isaiah the prophet said that the Messiah would do, and that's the message they carried back to John the Baptist, but then the Lord waited. He waited until they were gone, until the messengers of John the Baptist were gone, and after they were gone, then the Lord begins to praise John the Baptist. And he didn't, because he didn't want, the Lord did not want the disciples of John, to hear him praise John. The Lord did not want John's disciples to go back to the prison. He did not want them to carry the message to John the Baptist. Oh, you won't believe what Jesus said about you. He said that you were as rock, you were a rock-solid person, that you were not living in the lap of luxury, that you were not a lush living person in a palace, that you were a prophet. He said you were just a prophet. He said you were more than a prophet. In fact, he said you were the great messenger. He called you the closer of the law and the prophets. You won't believe this, but he said you were the greatest person ever born to a woman. He, the Lord did not want that to be told to John the Baptist. He did not, so the Lord said all of that after the disciples left. And that's the power of verse seven where it says, as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. He didn't want them to hear that. He didn't want John to hear that. Why not? 
But what do you think that message would have done to John the Baptist if he had heard that? If John the Baptist heard that, that prison cell wouldn't have been big enough to contain John the Baptist's head. Would have swelled up with a, you're the greatest ever born to a woman stuff. And so if John had heard that, then John would have been in danger of becoming proud. And that's one of the things the Lord hates in Proverbs 6.16. Proverbs 6.16, these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, lying tongue, so forth. A proud look leads the list of what God hates and what God finds to be an abomination, pride. Psalm 10, verse four, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. That's what pride does. Pride takes a person's thoughts away from God and how great God is, and it puts his thoughts on himself and how great he is. You know, Peter's, that's why Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 5, 1 Peter 5, 5, be clothed with humility because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. God puts his big hand in the chest of a proud person who says, I want to come to God. And God says, no, you won't. I resist you. He doesn't give grace to the proud. On the other hand, God says in Isaiah 66, 2, Isaiah 66, 2, to this man will I look, even to him that is of a poor and contrite spirit and trembles at my word. So what he's saying here is God says, I'm setting my focus, I'm setting my attention on the person who is not proud, on the person who sees himself and poor. He's so poor that when I speak my word in the Bible, he shakes like a leaf. He's trembling. God said in Isaiah 57, 15, Isaiah 57, 15, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. What God's saying there is that I love to spend my time with the person who is not proud, the person who is humble. And the Lord Jesus did not want to say anything that would possibly contribute to John the Baptist becoming proud because becoming proud is what God hates. Because becoming proud stops a person from thinking about God. Because becoming proud means that God will not pour his focus and attention into that person. And becoming proud means that God will not spend time with that person. And so to protect John from the greatest threat that could happen to him of him becoming puffed up. The Lord Jesus just stands there and he just waits for John the Baptist's disciples to be gone. They're out of earshot. And verse seven, as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, and he doesn't want to flatter John. He doesn't want to do anything. Why? Because Proverbs 27, 21, Proverbs 27, 21 says, as the fining pot for silver and the furnace for gold, 
So is a man to his praise. As hot as that melting pot is for silver, as hot as that furnace is to melt gold, that's what praise is to a man. Puts him in a great temptation. All right, so now John the Baptist's messengers, they're gone, they can't hear, and so the Lord now quickly moves to restore John's reputation. The Lord does not want John the Baptist to be thought of as a person who's wavering in his conviction, as a person who's denying whether or not Jesus is the God, the Son, as a person who is causing question as to whether or not Jesus is the Messiah, the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He doesn't want people to think that John the Baptist is the one who's sitting there saying, is it he that should come or should we look for another? So he sees John, the Lord Jesus sees John as wounded. He sees him like in the water, like a wounded, a wounded one who's bleeding, blood in the water, and he sees the people around him as sharks ready to tear him apart. So he moves in to protect his friend, and he asks the multitude, he says, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? Exactly why he was saying to them, Look, John was not in any local theater for you. John was way out in the wilderness, and it took you a lot of effort to go out and see him. It took you a whole day or maybe more than a day for you to go see him. And what is it that made you so motivated that you wanted to spend all that time traveling to go out to see John? Why did you go? That's what he's asking. And what was the reason why the people did all that work to go out to see the John the Baptist. It was because that it was said about John the Baptist in Mark 1.5, Mark 1.5, and there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem and were baptized in him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. That's why they went. They went out there to John the Baptist because they were tormented by guilt. They were harassed by the shame of their sins. And so when he asks this question, the Lord Jesus does in verse seven, the Lord is emphasizing to them that John the Baptist was in the wilderness. First of all, he was in the wilderness. John the Baptist, the wilderness. That's a strange place to go have a meeting for people to come to. That's like saying, we're gonna have a Bible conference. It's gonna be out in some field in the Laguna Mountains, you know? I mean, John the Baptist was not in the city. Why not? John the Baptist was not in the synagogues. Why not? John the Baptist was not in the temple in Jerusalem. Why not? Because the city, with all of its secularism, was so far from God that the people couldn't get relief from their sins in the city with all that it had to offer. So John was in the wilderness outside the city. The synagogues, with all their laws about the things that you have to do and you don't do, especially the laws about the Sabbath and the, what you can eat and not eat and how you eat, you should wash your hands and so on. They were so far from God that the people couldn't get any relief from their sins in the synagogue. So John was in the wilderness, not in the synagogues. And the temple in Jerusalem, with all of their politics and their money-making from selling the sacrificial animals, those sales, they were so far from God 
that the people couldn't get in relief. They couldn't find any relief from their sins, from their guilt, from their shame in the temple in Jerusalem. So John was in the wilderness outside the temple. So by calling out the fact that John the Baptist was in the wilderness, the Lord was saying, John the Baptist in the wilderness helped you when the city failed you. John the Baptist in the wilderness helped you when the religious synagogues failed you. John the Baptist was in the wilderness when the temple could not help you. But John the Baptist helped you in the wilderness. And that's why you were willing to travel all the way out to the wilderness to get help by John. Just remember, the Lord is in essence saying, just remember how much John helped you. And the help that John the Baptist brought to you was the help of seeing your sins as God sees them, dirty and rotten. As repent, as helping you to repent of your sins, turning away from your sins, to prepare you for the Messiah. Because no repentance of sins, no receiving Jesus as Savior from sins. And so John preached that each person was guilty of their sins and had to repent of their sins. Now, the way it was in those days was that there were many rabbis. There was rabbis all over. They were going into the temple with their groups, Rabbi Gamaliel and all of them, and they all had these rabbis, these quote-unquote famous rabbis, had their following. And a person, if you chose a particular rabbi to follow, you didn't cross over to another rabbi. You followed that rabbi. You were loyal to the rabbi that you chose to follow, and you didn't cross over to another rabbi. That's the way it is today. I remember what, when I was in Israel at, at the uh, Wailing Wall. It was a very, very hot day. It was over 100, I think. I don't know. It was very hot. It gets very hot in Israel. Anyway, and so there, sitting on a chair out in the sun with black clothes on, black hat, black everything, black, just absorbing the sun, is this man and he is reading some book. And I went up to him and I started a conversation with him. And uh, I said, uh, which rabbi do you follow? And he says, uh, Nachman, of course. So I said, do you follow Chabad or Lubavitch? <laughs> he spits, no, Nachman, of course. Okay, okay. So that's the way it is today. There are many, many rabbis and they, when they follow one, they follow. That's the way it was then. So if you chose to follow a rabbi in those days, and that rabbi did go into the temple, then he would enter, as all the rabbis did, on the side of the wall of the temple where all the pools were. They call them mikvahs. And you would, as you entered into the temple, especially if you were a new convert to that rabbi, you would stop at the pool where the rabbi was, and that rabbi would immerse you in the water, which was a sign to everybody else, oh, well, he's following that rabbi. And this is the way it was with John, but John was not in the temple outside there. He was in the River Jordan. So the people who came to Rabbi John were saying to Rabbi John, we are following John. John has a message of repentance. We are confessing our sins as we're following John. And this is John's baptism, which was that meant that it was the baptism of repentance because that was his message. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.